Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for the pleasure of being in your presence. Uh, it is such a privilege that the creation can commune with the creator. Uh, through the blood of Jesus, through what Jesus has done on the cross, we have free access uh, into your very throne. Lord, we are so thankful for the benefit and the privilege of fellowship. As we spend a few minutes in the word, uh, we ask that the Holy Spirit will help us today. Lord, we are not interested in the eloquence of man because uh, the eloquence of man can help us. We are interested in the life of God. So we call for the Holy Ghost this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, help us. Uh, light our candles and enlighten our darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to be concluding a topic I began last Sunday. But um, if you missed last Sunday, uh, you can still... Um, you know, enjoy what we're talking about today, um, because I'm going to do a, a quick recap. I've titled uh, the message, Compelled by His Love. And um, the text is drawn from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And I believe that in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul um, expresses what is meant to be the heart of every believer. What is meant to be the mindset of every child of God. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, the New King James puts it this way. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. It says we are compelled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the fuel behind everything we're doing. Now, I, I read it again also from the Passion Translation. I don't know if we, we have that this morning. But the Passion Translation expands it a little bit and gives more clarity. In verse 14, it says, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means that all died with him. So that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him the one who died for us now and lives again. The fuel of our lives as a child of God, from an understanding of his love for us, the fuel of our lives is his love. That is what motivates our passion. That is what motivates what we do. We are not doing what we're doing because we have to. We are doing what we're doing because we are responding to his love. Hallelujah. If he died his uh, death, the death that was for us, if he took that death, then the new life we have, we are going to live to glorify him. Hallelujah. You know, love ought to invoke a response. The natural response to the understanding of God's love for us is that we pour out our lives on him. That is our natural response. You know, we looked at uh, Mark 14, which had the story of the woman with um, the alabaster flask um, of fragrant oil. 
um, that broke the flask and poured the contents on Jesus. And people said, why are you wasting such fragrant um, perfume? Uh, you can sell this and get a year's worth of wages. But she understood that she had been so forgiven by the Lord and her natural response was to pour her all on Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, even though they were criticizing her, Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Hallelujah. So you are not too devoted to Jesus. Hallelujah. Your holiness is not too high for Jesus. Your righteousness is not too much. Irrespective of what people may say around you, it is a natural response to the lavish love that he has given to you and I. Paul says that this is the fuel of our passion and our motivation as believers. Our love for him is in response to his love for us. And also it is because we love him that we serve him. Hallelujah. I'm going to be talking about the heart of service today. True service comes out of love. Amen. You know, there was a term that the apostles um, used frequently in the New Testament in referring to themselves. It was a term that was used as a badge of honor by the apostles. And that term was the phrase bond servant. Bond servant. You see it all through the epistles. In Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul says, introducing himself, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. To Galatians, he said the same thing in Galatians 1 verse 10. He said, do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I will not be a bondservant of Christ. To the Philippians, as he introduced himself in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. He said, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In his letter to Titus, the very first thing he said was, I am Paul, a bondservant of Jesus. James, in his letter, this was not exclusive to Paul. James chapter 1 verse 1, he says, James, a bondservant of God. Peter did the same thing. In 2 Peter 1 verse 1. He says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude will not be left out. In Jude chapter 1 verse 1, he said, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus. Now, who is a bondservant? I want you to see where this phrase was drawn from. It is actually drawn from the Old Testament. I'd like us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 12. It says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he, that is the servant or the slave, says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. Then you shall take an awl, which is like a, a, a large um, nail, and you shall thrust it in his, his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant you shall do likewise. So this person had served, they had, you know, they had fulfilled um, their obligation. It was time for them to go free. But this slave decides that even though I am free, because I love my master, I want to remain a slave. Wow. Almost can't imagine that. Because I love my master, I want to serve my master. And according to the Jews, what they will do is they'll take his ear and essentially pin it to the wall. They will, they will, you know, knock a big hole in his ear. And everybody that saw him understood that this person is a freed person. But they have decided because they love their master, they have decided to be slaves forever. And because they had made that decision, they were called a bond servant and they would have an inheritance from the household. So when the master was putting together his will, his bond servant essentially becomes an adopted member of the family and, re and, and would, be, would, would receive an inheritance from the master. A bond servant. Hallelujah. So the apostles in their work for the Lord... They were saying, understand that I'm not doing this because I am forced to. I am a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a willing slave for life because I love him. You see, the army of God, there is an army of God that is being raised in the earth today. There is an end time army that God is raising in this earth today. But that end time army is a very unique type of army. If you look at Psalm 100 and, 100 and turn verse 3, I'd like us to turn to it. I'll read from the New King James and then the Amplified. Because I want you to understand what God is doing and the army that God is raising in the earth today. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, Your people shall be volunteers. Everyone say volunteers. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The army of God that he is raising in this day is an army of volunteers. I want you to look at this from the Amplified version. The Amplified says, Your people will offer themselves to participate in your battle. <laughs> it says, Your people will do what? They will offer themselves to participate in your battle 
In the day of your power, in the splendor of holiness from the womb of the dawn, your young men are to you as the dew. This is the army that God is raising in the earth today. An army of volunteers. People that volunteer for his army because they love him. Hallelujah. You know, God, like always, is giving an invitation to us to partner with him. To partner with him. You know, in this era of independence, in this era of unprecedented distraction, in this era of selfishness where it is about me and myself, there is an army that is rising whose ears are tuned into the frequency of heaven and the heart of their king who for the love of their God will break their alabaster jar of oil and pour their oil, the oil of their lives to serve their master. Those are the people that God is going to use in this day in order to extend his kingdom in the earth. You know, the body of Christ may look like a ragtag bunch of people. You may have every reason to criticize the body of Christ as being a bad example, as being disorganized, as being weak. But I have the word of the Lord for you today that within that body, God is raising an army and people are beginning to hear the sound of God and they are beginning to be willing and they are beginning to accept the invitation of Jehovah. This is an army of lovers of God and not an army that is threatened into position. Hallelujah. You know the thing I love about the Lord. Is the way he does things. You know the way people have built churches. In the past. A lot of times does not have within it the DNA of the kingdom. They felt that you know we couldn't get people to respond. So we'll make them respond. So we will threaten them and tell them that God is not going to bless them if they don't do so, so and so. And we'll get them to do what we want them to do. But you know that is not going to produce anything that is lasting. That is why people can be in church for 20 years. And after 20 years, they are bitter against the whole church and the whole movement of the Holy Spirit. Because some willing leaders or even some, you know, I mean, they may not necessarily have been trying to uh, deceive people, but they just felt that, you know, we've got to do this to get people to do stuff. But that's not the way of the kingdom. The Lord uses volunteers. The Lord uses people that will respond to, his, to him in love. And that is the way he has always worked. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, the thing about an invitation is that an invitation can be ignored. Hallelujah. It can be ignored. And the thing about God is that he will not bash you over the head for ignoring his invitation. He wants people that serve him because they love him. And so he will bless you. He will redeem you. Even if you turn down his invitation. I find it interesting. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, we know the story of Moses, right? Because of time, I wouldn't go to read the story. But Moses is on the backside of the desert and he's about to have an encounter with God which is going to change not just his life but the destiny of his people. They had been in captivity for 400 years. 
In fact, in Genesis 15 verse 3, God had said to Abraham that your people are going to be in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And after 400 years, I will judge Egypt and I'll redeem them with a mighty hand. Hallelujah. Now, God had purposed to use Moses to deliver his people. So look at what God does. Moses is shepherd over the flock of Jethro. And he begins to observe a bushfire. There's a bushfire in the desert. Now, now, I don't know about you, but a bushfire is not a rarity in the desert. It is dry. You have bushfires. All right? I mean, anyone that's been to California or you've watched the news, you'll see how the kind of bushfires they have in California. But you'll notice in that passage that there was something about this bushfire that was slightly different. But you know, this incident was not um, an angel standing like what happened with Balaam when an angel stood in front of Balaam's donkey with a drawn sword and obstructed the way of Balaam. No, this was on the side, a bush burning, but, but Moses saw that it wasn't being consumed. But then Moses made a decision that I will turn aside to see what is going on there. I will respond to this invitation. There is something going on, but I, I, I can choose not to respond. I can choose to ignore it. Now remember what is going to happen on the other side of this thing. He's going to have an encounter with God that is going to result in prophecy being fulfilled. It's going to result in people being delivered from, the, from bondage for 400 years and led into the promised land. This is a very important incident. The Lord kept quiet and allowed the bush to burn. The Bible says Moses turned aside to see what was going on. And the Bible says that when, everyone say when. It says when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, then the Lord spoke. Hallelujah. When Moses responded to the invitation, the Lord spoke to him. There is another incident, and this one I would have us turn to it. It is in Exodus 25. Let us look at Exodus 25. I am building a case for you to understand that God is using a volunteer army. It doesn't matter how important the project is to the kingdom of God. God will send out invitations. And it is up to us to accept or reject the invitation. Hallelujah. Let's look at Exodus 25 real quick. In Exodus 25 verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Everyone say an offering. For everyone who gives it what? Willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And then he goes on to specify what he's looking for. He wants the best things. He wants gold. He wants silver. He's very specific about what he wants. And God is going to use this to build something. In verse 8 he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So what is God building in the wilderness? He's building a tabernacle. Are you with me? Now in this tabernacle, the very presence of God is going to be revealed. 
This is the first time after the fall that God is going to dwell in a structure in the midst of his people. How many of you would say that that is a very important um, milestone in the history of the earth? God is going to build something. Uh, uh, but in alignment with his nature, he sends out an invitation. He says, let those who are willing um, get involved in this. Wow. Wow. So, just because it's important doesn't mean that the Lord is going to force you. Because the Lord is using a volunteer army. He sends out invitations and that invitation can be ignored. So, this begs the question, how are you responding to the invitations of the Lord? What is on the other side of your obedience to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because he's not going to appear to you as an angel. He's going to nudge you in your heart. You're going to begin to get this feeling. The Lord wants me to get up early. I just have this feeling to get up early to pray. For this person. An invitation. Hallelujah. God is sending out invitations. An invitation to participate with him. In what he is doing in the earth. Regarding the use of your time, regarding your dedication to him, regarding the use of your money. I'll pause for effect. The Lord sends out invitations. You know, a few weeks ago, we had um, an event here. Apostle Tommy came to minister, a prophetic event, and um, we partnered with several churches in the city. How many of you went to any of Apostle Tony's, Tommy's meetings? Any of them? Okay, we have quite a few people. And you'll agree that those meetings were life-changing, were they not? And somebody in our church, you know, um, was instrumental to getting him here. And, and I said, of course, we'll partner, we'll partner with, with you. And, and, I, and, you know, we set a budget of um, a million five. And it wasn't just for us. It was for what was, being, was happening in the city. So I came up here and I said, guys, this is happening. We need a million five to make this happen. I gave out our invitation. Now, the next day, somebody called me and said, um, you know, Pastor, you gave that invitation. How, did people give towards it? And I said, well, I don't know. The offering hasn't been counted. And, and after, after the offering was counted, very little was actually given towards that particular project. So this woman said, and I said, so what's the Lord saying? This woman said, you know, I just feel that the Lord wants me to give a million naira. A million is a lot of money. I said, Okay. And she gave the million naira, and as the million naira landed in our account, we went to the board, the, the guys that were organizing it, and we transferred the million naira to them. You see, God gives out invitations. Now, I don't know, other people may have had the opportunity to respond to that invitation, but one person did. You know, everything that happened during that weekend, we saw incredible things happen. There was a word given to the church, which you all heard, which I'm going to talk about at some point. There were people that were healed that came out and gave incredible testimonies about healing. You know, the, the response that we make to God changes lives. And it becomes credit to our account. Everything that was received as a result of that dynamic weekend, part of it is going to be credited to that woman's account. Hallelujah. The Lord is raising a volunteer army. A volunteer army. 
How are we responding to the invitations of the Lord? You know, the Apostle Paul, in talking about his relationship with God, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he expresses his heart. And I believe that in this verse, we see something about those who are the army of God and the values of these people. In Philippians 3.10, he says, Paul is speaking and he's expressing his desire. He says, that I may know him and what? The power of his what? Resurrection. You know, thank God we went to school and we understand punctuation. But most people actually stop there. You think that everything that is involved in walking with God is just the power. Give me the power and I'll be fine. Now there's nothing wrong with the power, but it's just part of the equation. Hallelujah. The power is actually meant for something. Praise the Lord. Now Paul says that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So Paul, as a bond servant, understood that it's not just about power. There's another part to it. There is a fellowship of his sufferings. Hallelujah. A fellowship of the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Paul is not saying that I want to go to the cross. Only Jesus could have gone to the cross and thank God he did. Hallelujah. But Paul is praying that he will come into union with the sufferings of Christ. Not then, but now. Do you know that even now, there are things that break the Lord's heart? Hallelujah. Paul says, I want to come into union with what breaks his heart. I am his love slave, so I want to know what is on the heart of my master. And I want to enter into union with those sufferings. Hallelujah. I want to share in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what a bond servant does. A bond servant asks the question, my master, what is on your heart? Hallelujah. What is on your heart? How can I, how can I bring joy to your heart? What is breaking your heart, my master? You know, the crown of glory that God has promised is also a crown of suffering. There are things that break the Lord's heart. You know, when we talk about suffering, we're not talking about pain, sickness, and disease, and all those things that he redeemed us from. But we're talking about the things that break his heart. What are the things that break the Lord's heart? What did God say to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 verse 10? He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Hallelujah. The lost are on the heart of the king. He said, this is why I came. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead and um, in, in John chapter 21, we see the incident um, where uh, he was by the sea and um, uh, Peter had taken the other disciples fishing and, and they saw Jesus, um, you know, roasting some fish. And in John 21, we see a discourse that Jesus has with Peter. And the Lord asked Peter a few questions. 
He said, Peter, do you love me? You know, if the Lord came here today and said to, him, to you, Tunde, do you love me? Karen, do you love me? Tom, do you love me? Do you know how we'll respond? Of course, Jesus. In fact, we'll kneel down and say, Jesus, you are the love of my life. I love you. I love, I love you so much. Mwah, 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 mwah. But you know, if we love him, we will fulfill what is on his heart. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And then he said again, do you love me? He said, of course I love you. He said, tend my lambs. And then the third time, he said, Peter, do you really love me? Peter said, Lord, amongst all these guys, I love you the most. He said, if you love me, then you need to enter into union with my sufferings. Feed my sheep. Hallelujah. Because what breaks the heart of the Lord, what is on the heart of the Lord is his people, is the lost. Hallelujah. He says, feed my sheep. The things that break my heart, come into union with them. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but in long, is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all shall come to repentance. The Lord longs, the Lord's heart longs for people for whom he has shed his blood. That is what is on the Lord's heart. Amen. And as a bond servant of the Lord, the way we respond to God's need is by reaching out to people and loving people in our world of influence. You know, the very, one of the last things that Paul said to the, the elders of the church of Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 20, before he, he went to Jerusalem and, and uh, was extradited to, to Rome, in Acts 20, 30, 28, he was speaking to the elders and he said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd or to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Hallelujah. You know, the, the mandate to feed the sheep is not just a mandate for pastors. Hallelujah. Entering into the fellowship of his sufferings is not just for apostles. It is for every bond servant that recognizes that God is sending them an invitation to be part of his army that is going to do great things in the earth today. It is reaching out to people in your place of work. It is spending time with your children and praying with them. It is feeding the sheep, reaching the lost, extending the grace of God to those that haven't come close, equipping those that are in Christ. Hallelujah. That is how we respond in love to the Lord. Who are you feeding today? Which sheep are you feeding today? How are you aligning yourself with the heart of your king today? He's not going to send an angel to manifest to you. He's going to tug your heart. He's going to tug your heart. There's going to be that, that tug that never leaves. I ought to do this. I ought to do this. I ought to do this. You know, I find out that we give time to what is important to us. Hallelujah. When there's Premier League football, it does not matter what meeting is, ha meaning, what meeting is happening. When Chelsea is playing, you've got to watch. Or Man U Arsenal, 
right? We, 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 we give time to what we value. Hallelujah. He says, put me on your diary. Listen to what I'm talking in your heart and respond. Let your love for him override your self-consciousness. You know, a lot of times we're ashamed to share the gospel. We're embarrassed to share the gospel. Let your love for Jesus, if you are indeed a bond servant, let it override your self-consciousness. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I will declare the good news. I will share my testimony. Whether you think I'm weak or not, I'm going to share it. Hallelujah. Because if Christ could die for me, then I'm going to live for him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It does not matter who it is. When the Lord opens the door and gives me the opportunity, I am going to share the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. When he's speaking to his son, who is a young pastor, Timothy, he says the same thing to Timothy because he begins to notice that, you know, Timothy is getting intimidated because he's young. The older people in this congregation are browbeating him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, don't be ashamed. Say to your neighbor, don't be ashamed. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. You know, I can almost imagine people talking at Timothy saying, oh, that is your mentor, isn't it? Is that your mentor? We just heard that he has been put in prison. Are you going to keep following in this direction? He said, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. I like the New Living Translation of that verse, 2 Timothy 1.8. It says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Hallelujah. That embarrassment you feel doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from your recreated human spirit. It comes from the devil. It comes from self. It comes from the flesh. It says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Hallelujah. There is some suffering that comes with the good news. Hallelujah. But the suffering is worth it because we love him. The one who died for us is worth suffering for. Hallelujah. You may lose your place in certain uh, places in society. You may not make the invite list of certain people. They may not invite you to discuss um, business when they are talking about sharing bribes. Hallelujah. There is some suffering associated with the kingdom. But it says, don't be ashamed. Those who suffer with me will be glorified with me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, it's important that I share it, it uh, I, I just say a little something to people who are ministers in the house. You know, I believe that God is raising us as High Life to be a training ground for ministers. People he's going to send to different places to minister the word of God in their world of influence. Hallelujah. Industry titans have been raised in this house. People who are going to speak into the economy 
People that are going to speak into media, into entertainment. People that are going to speak into family, into education. God is raising ministers in this house, in every sphere of influence. So it is important to understand how to carry yourself as a minister of the king. Hallelujah. I'd like us to look at a few verses before we close. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We don't handle the word of God craftily. We don't twist the word to suit our own agenda. We don't manipulate people. Hallelujah. We are ministers of God. The word minister um, really speaks about servant. We are servants of God. We don't handle the word craftily. We don't manipulate people. We We don't try to control people. That is the sin of witchcraft. When people are made to take actions not based on their response to the grace of God. Hallelujah. Another thing that Paul says about ministers I want to read real quick is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. It says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in servants or stewards that they be found faithful. It says, let them consider us as servants of Christ. Hallelujah. Everyone say, I'm a servant of Christ. You know, I like that word servants because in the Greek, is the Greek word huperetes, which speaks about an under rower or an under um, oarsman. Have you ever seen, and it's it's a word that is taken from like the Roman galleon. Have you ever seen uh, in any of these old movies, I don't know if the guys have some pictures up there, in any of these old movies, um, these big ships that have oars coming out of the side. Anyone ever seen those? Yeah? Okay, they're going to put up one for me. Aha, uh-huh. something like that. Anyone ever seen this? Now, I realized that after watching a lot of movies, I realized that those oars are not being powered by some machine. There are people in the the belly of the ship, okay? They are called under-rowers, under-rowers. And that's the word that um, was translated servants. We are under-rowers. Let everyone consider us as under-rowers. Now, the interesting thing about these under-rowers is that, number one, you never see them. They are powering this ship, but it is not about who stands behind the pulpit. It is not about who everybody is celebrating. The under-rowers who are powering this ship are not seen. And the other thing about the under-rowers is that they were slaves. In fact, there were certain ships that had several levels of under-rowers. Yeah? And the lower you are in the ship, the longer your sentence was. 
So the people that were closer to the top were the ones who were about to be free soon. But the ones at the bottom were the people who were lifetime slaves. Yeah? So they were not seen. They were powering this ship. They were slaves. And if there was any collision, they were the first to die. Are you with me? Now, these guys were forced into that situation. But Paul is saying, I am an underrower of love. I put myself in this position as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ because I love him. He says, let them consider us underrowers of the kingdom. Hallelujah. We're talking about the army that is rising. It is not an army that is going to be known for the accolades that people give them or the way people worship them. They are going to be known by their love of the king. They are going to be known by, by their willingness to raise the reputation of the king. They are going to be known for their humility. They are going to be known for their love. Hallelujah. That is the army that God is inviting people to join. That is the invitation that is going out. That is the army that is going to change the nation and change the world. That is the army that is going to bring solutions to this country. An army that will set its face at the, at, like a flint and do the will of the master and the master alone. An army that will not shrink away in fear. An army that will rise up boldly and speak truth to power. An army that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. An army that is going to access the annals of heaven and receive the wisdom of God for solutions to our problems in this nation. An army that will bow their knees before God by night and by day and pray for the salvation of this nation. That is the invitation that God is sending out. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 19 that there are different kinds of eunuchs. You know who a eunuch is? A eunuch, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated, right? And the desire, sexual desire is taken away. It says there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. This is Matthew 19, 12. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Jesus is not saying that anyone should go castrate themselves. But you know, a eunuch does not have a desire for the bride. You can trust a eunuch because he has no desire for the bride. You know, in, in uh, Genesis 24, there was an incident where Abraham wanted to get a... Um, a wife for his son. And he sent his servant, Eliezer. And he said, Eliezer, I want you to go get a wife for my son. And Eliezer went, and you know the story. He prayed that God will help him. Uh, I mean, he saw a woman that, you know, he liked for his, his master's son. Um, you know, he tested her character. Um, you know, he made sure she came from a good family. Uh, he wooed her on behalf of the master. Yeah, everything Eliezer did was on behalf of his master. Are you with me? He had no desire for the bride. That is the army that God is raising. An army of eunuchs that are not going to sacrifice the bride. They're not going to exploit the bride because they know that they are servants uh, preparing the bride for the king. Hallelujah. And when you read the end of the story, as they began to approach the son that the bride was prepared for, the, the bride saw Isaac 
from a distance. And she said, who is that man over there? And, the, and Eliezer said, that is my master. And she came down from the camel and she removed her veil. And she, she, she prepared herself for the king. That is the army that God is raising. That is the invitation that, that is going out. An army, a love army. A love army that is going to transform the nation. Paul says we are compelled by his love. We serve him because we love him. We give our lives because he loves him. We pour our lives on him. It is our reasonable service. Did you get something from the word of God this morning? Hallelujah.